the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Happy Valentine's Day, or not. According to a story in the Daily Signal, fewer and fewer people celebrate it. And it might be a generational thing, and I think it's pretty obvious that it is, that it is actually, because each generation seems to be less interested in getting married or even having a committed relationship, especially young people. According to this story, in the 60s, 90% of 30-year-olds were married. Now it's just a little over 40%. I think that comes up to about half as many people, less than half being married by 30 now than there were back in the 60s. I'm one of them baby boomers, you know, and I was married at 25, and every one of my friends who I grew up with got married in their 20s, every one. And in case you're thinking that waiting until after 30 gives a marriage a better chance of lasting. It's not true. Getting married after your late 20s actually increases your chances of getting a divorce. Now, this story points out that marriage used to be seen as, quote, the the cornerstone of adulthood, unquote. Anybody over 50 knows that it was a sign that you had figured out that it was time to, you know, grow up. And maybe it's as simple as that. Young people are putting off being a grown-up for as long as they can. Maybe having a wife means less time to, to be able to spend on video games. And, you know, maybe women in their 20s wouldn't mind getting married and starting a family a little earlier, you know, but there aren't enough guys out there who are ready to cut down on the video games, and they're waiting for those guys to grow up. I don't know, but or maybe women have become convinced uh, you know, that they, they need to pursue a career before they get tied down with kids because, you know, maybe it takes a little while to figure out that being a young stay-at-home mother compares pretty favorably with sitting on one of the parkways in rush hour traffic twice a day so you can work in a cubicle for eight hours. And here's something that Gen Z may not be thinking about. If you wait until your mid-30s before having kids, this shouldn't be tough to figure out, but that means you're going to have kids in college when you're, when you're in your mid to late 50s. Now, most of my baby boomer friends were done with that in their mid-40s, and they didn't have to wait until their mid-70s to become grandparents. I guess this is just another one of those times when I am reminded, and I have to say, that uh, there are no words to describe how glad I am to have grown up when I did. Well, when we come back, Tucker Carlson was singing the praises of Moscow after his trip there to interview Vladimir Putin. He said it was nicer than any city in America. Love Tucker, but we're going to have a guy here who says Tucker's out of his mind on that one. And in our second half hour, there's a big story brewing about how proof has been discovered that the FBI and the CIA illegally spied on Donald Trump and his associates as early as the summer of 2016. Stick around. Well, Tucker Carlson's trip to Russia to interview Vladimir Putin got a lot of attention. Last time I checked, it was something around 120 million views. Maybe it's much higher than that now. But 
Since the interview, Carlson has spent some time praising Russia, maybe too much time. David Harsani is the uh, author of Eurotrash, Why America Must Reject the Failed Ideas of a Dying Continent. So he knows a little bit about what's going on in Europe. He's also a senior editor at The Federalist, and he joins us now. David, thanks for coming on again. Appreciate it. Always a pleasure. Thanks for having me. Okay, so um, Tucker told the people, uh, I guess, at the World Government Summit, which is kind of scary in itself, um, (laughs) that Moscow was nicer than any city in the United States. Pretty strong statement there. Yeah, I mean, it reminds me of a lot of people go to Europe and they... um, you know, they stay in tourist centers and the city center and they see lots of nice things. But Moscow, for instance, and I, you know, I'm not going to pretend to be a massive expert on Moscow, but I know enough that most people in Moscow do not live in the nice areas where he was probably hanging out. The Moscow is a huge city, has Soviet era, you know, um, apartment complexes that I think most people here would find incredibly dreary. And most people live in small apartments. The per capita GDP, for instance, in Russia as a whole is around $12,000 per year. Here it's around $70,000 per year. I I assume that the people who live in suburbs in the United States are having a much better time of life than the people who live in Moscow. Uh, So maybe he didn't spend quite enough time there and didn't do quite enough looking around to be able to make that judgment. I, I think that that's usually the case. Yeah, it's like when someone visits Paris and they're like, wow, this is really beautiful. It's not like they, they drove 20 minutes out of Paris and saw the basically the ghettos, for instance, of immigrants and crime-ridden places like that. Now, I'm not saying that we don't have problems. Trust me, I know that inner cities, there are real problems uh, for many people. But this idea that, that, that these other places are better than America is, you know, is nuts. And I'm not saying that because I live in America and I'm blinded by stuff. I'm, I'm, I say it because I think it's, in, in, you know, as I lay out in a column, I think I can give you lots of numbers to show that that, that is true. You yeah, know? yeah. Well, um, wh- how would, uh, in size, how does Moscow compare with our biggest cities? Uh, I don't know. You see, I, I think that it is up there. I, I forget the exact number, but, you know, the, a lot of it is just, wouldn't even call it suburbs. These suburbs are a very American idea. It's more like uh, kind of these very dreary places of, of lined of apartment buildings and very small houses that are around the city, in, in, you know, that were built starting in the Soviet era, but probably grew since then. So, I don't know. I think it's up there with like I think it's up there with major American cities. I don't think it's as big as L.A. or New York, but I think it's up there. And um, so, how Maybe does more, actually, how, how does the average citizen uh, of Moscow live? Just the life in the city there. Well, I mean, there, there are there there is a huge. You know, people complain about economic disparity here. There's a huge, even larger economic. I don't think that's necessarily a problem if everyone's getting richer, but that's not really the case. And from what I know, Moscow is getting nicer in the sense that there's less crime than there used to be. Um, but, I mean, like alcoholism in Russia is a massive problem for people. It has a hugely high suicide rate. It used to be one of the tops in the world. I think that's gotten a little better as well. Um, you know, divorce is 70-something percent the highest divorce rate in the world. And by the way, most people don't live in Moscow. They live in other cities that are much worse than even Moscow. So... I just, it kind of, it's just, to me, it's just so weird for Tucker to go in front of a bunch of foreign plutocrats and theocrats and and people like that and tell them 
that Moscow is nicer than America. I just don't really, you know, it's not true, A, but also I just don't, I don't really understand why he would do something like that. Yeah, uh, he's a pretty smart guy. <laughs> it's pretty obvious he's a smart guy. Um, would he have to be motivated by uh, something that would allow him to overlook something as obvious as that, well, I've been here for 20 minutes, and maybe what I've seen isn't what Moscow or Russia is really like? My theory is, and he's not alone, is that we're so wrapped up, and some of us are so wrapped up in politics, and we're so mad about what's going on, and we mm-hmm. see only the worst parts of America, and we're mad about it, and we think things are getting worse and worse. And I'm not saying, again, that there aren't some of these problems that he's talking about aren't real. But I think that sometimes we, we tend to lose perspective, for instance, of what we have. Like, Russia is an incredibly corrupt country. You have to bribe someone to do almost anything. I don't know that Americans realize how little that goes on here and how much of it goes of that goes on elsewhere. So things like that. So I, I don't know. I just think that when you it's like when you like a sports team and you see a player, you see every you know, you see all their faults like it's really amplified for you. Yeah. And when you see another team come in for one game, you only see the upside of those players. You don't really you know, you're not obsessed with right. all the little problems. So I think that's kind of like an analogy I would use. Well, I've uh, I've been to um, three European cities: Barcelona, uh, Dublin. Well, actually, not uh, two European cities: Barcelona and Dublin. I've been to Tokyo, um, and I was in Tokyo long enough to know I never want to go there again. I wouldn't want to live there. Um, Barcelona. I the only thing I saw was a really nice hotel. I was traveling with the Steelers, and the only the only thing I saw was a really nice hotel. And we went to the beach, and the women were topless. So I mean I, that that was my that was my impression of Barcelona. I don't think it's hey, quite Europeans that nice do there. Some things, yeah, you, they do some things better than us. Not just kidding. Yeah. Um, I, you know, I was like in Rio, right in Brazil, and mm-hmm. it is just gorgeous, right? One of the most beautiful places. I stayed down near the beach. I, you know, I was like, I'd love to live, here. but of course, I wouldn't be li- if I was just a Brazilian. I wouldn't be living on the beach in Rio. Right, most likely. right. I'd be living in one of the towns behind it where there's, you know, where it's terrible, where people are poor, where there's rampant criminality and all that. Yeah, and we have places like that here for sure, but not all over. Yeah, I, I was very young. I, I, a uh, couple of buddies of mine and I, we, we went to Miami. We decided we were going to go to Miami and live. We were headed for the Bahamas, but we ended up staying in, in Miami, and. You know, for the first month we lived there, we went with enough money to we we went to the beach every single day. First, and then we went and got jobs, and we thought we were going to go stay there for a long time. After I got a job, I figured out that you know Miami in March it still gets dark at six thirty or seven o'clock. Um, you don't if you're not you still have to get and sit in rush hour traffic to go to work, and you don't go to the beach every day. So it's, yeah. you get a bad impression when you're when when you when you're going there just to fool around, and then when you have to actually live there, it's a little different. And there's another, it's hard for me to like explain this, but there's another aspect to this where in Russia, you don't have as, you don't have the choice to move around as much as Americans do. So you're living in a suburb of Moscow. There's not a, it's not a, like a meritocratic society as like the United States in the sense that you're going to move up the ladder that easily either. And you're probably living in the same area your parents lived and so on. Mm-hmm. Here, people move out into suburbs. Now, you can like suburbs, you cannot like suburbs, but we are literally, a lot of people are living in what a Russian person would consider a mansion with two cars in a beautiful area with everything at their fingertips. 20% of Russian houses don't even have 
indoor plumbing yet, you know. So I, I don't know if people realize how how advanced we are compared to most places or air conditioning and things like that. Yeah. Um, that make life a lot nicer for us in the small ways that you don't realize. Um, I'm sure if you're a millionaire, Moscow is nice. But if you're not, I doubt that it's a great place to live. Now, just as far as uh, Tucker's impression, I'm wondering, could it it be because Moscow, he said it's nicer than any American city, which just seems ridiculous to even say it. But uh, could it be that maybe, you know, unlike, say, San Francisco, uh, Moscow doesn't uh, tolerate people living in tents and pooping on the street, especially in areas where tourists might go? Yeah, I'm sure. I'm, I'm sure that's part of it. I'm, again, I'm. I, I there are there is a homeless problem in American cities. There are places in America that have cr- crime that is is scary and far worse probably than they have in Moscow. We're not a perfect country. We're far from it. Um, but I think when you take all of that in totality, you know, I think we're better off. Yeah, I mean. I, <laughs> There's a problem in cities right now. They're getting worse. And if someone told me, like, you know, that things are getting worse in America, they're worse than they've ever been. I'm old enough to have lived in the 70s and seen New York City with my dad when he used to take me in. And I'm telling you, it's not as bad as it, you know, it's not the worst it's ever been. The cities were horrible in the 70s. Uh, they've gotten better, and we're, we're backsliding. But, um, you know, New York City is still nice if you walk around Central Park. If you went to just uh, Park Avenue, great yeah, for yeah, you. Yeah. Same thing. But if you go to the Bronx, maybe it's not as nice. So um, that's something to remember when you think about cities. We're, talk- we're talking to David Harsani. He is a senior editor at The Federalist, uh, but also the author of Euro Trash: Why America Must Reject the Failed Ideas of a Dying Continent. So, uh, David, Pittsburgh is a one-party city. It's uh, As far as the elections and, and the politics here go, it's Havana, you know, uh, it has been for 80 yeah. years. There's been a Democrat mayor, I think. For, it might be up to 80 years now. It's kind of like the old Soviet Union. Would Moscow or Russia in general be any less corrupt, at least politically, than <laughs> than, than Pittsburgh or, or Chicago or many other cities we could name that have the similar situation? Baltimore? I think it'd be more corrupt. I think Moscow's more corrupt in this sense. I Don't get me wrong. There's a lot of corruption in uh, New Jersey. You know, where I, Even where I grew up in New York, there was corruption. But... There is less corruption in your everyday life going and somewhere to get a building permit. Yeah, I'm sure bribery happens, but there it is a part of everyday life all the time for any kind of business transaction. And we don't really have that here. Of course, big cities run by the far left usually or, you know, the left in general here have, uh, you know, make one mistake after the next and make cities unlivable for a lot of people. Cities in America at least city centers most of the time are for the rich and for the poor. They're not for middle class. Pittsburgh used to be a city, I get, I gather, that was working class, that had a lot of working class neighborhoods oh, and oh, maybe yeah, middle class yeah. neighborhoods. I don't know. You know, I know there's been some gentrification, whatever, and that's good for rich people usually, but there is not really a middle class. Suburb, suburban places are where middle class people live in America for the most part these days. So, and that's because liberals drove them out of cities, I think. Mm-hmm. Well, fortunately for uh, Pittsburgh, the, uh, Pittsburgh seems to be lagging behind in the tents uh, and the pooping on the street. But it, it's, we're starting to catch up, and we're starting to see more of that. So, uh, and 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 again, the people here will continue to vote for Democrats no matter what shows up on the street. They'll they'll vote for Democrats. That's never going to change. So, in Russia. Uh, Putin's been in power a long time. Is there even a mechanism there for them to 
remove Putin until uh, any time before he's ready to be removed? That's another thing. I'm happy you brought that up. You know, Tucker's over here and he makes a very big deal. And I agree with him over, uh, you know, attempts at censorship, over, uh, you know, attempts to stop people from challenging the government and things like that. Well, you don't get that in Moscow. There's no Putin is the is the rule. Journalists are sometimes murdered or arrested or, you know, kicked out of the country, murdered when they're out of the country. So I'm sure I'm sure that uh, that's not the kind of world, you know, you know, we'd want to live in if, you know, and uh, there is no real mechanism to get rid of Putin. But we also have to be honest with ourselves. I think Russians kind of like Putin. I'm not sure that Russians are that worried about many Russians are not that worried about you know, uh, freedom in the way and liberty in the way we used to be care about. I don't know if we care about it as much anymore, but um, so maybe they like him. I mean, there's a lot of places where people like authoritarian governments, and maybe that's the case in Russia. I think to some extent it is for some people. So I don't really think there is a mechanism to get rid of him. And maybe if you, they got rid of him, someone worse would come, come, you know, when they talk about overthrowing yeah. Putin, sometimes I'm like, you know, the general who takes over after him could be worse. So yeah. you never you never know how that plays out. Yeah. And part of Russia is in Asia. So it's it, it might even be cheating to call it a, a totally a European country. But um, and uh, you, you wrote the book about how things are in Europe. I'm just wondering, um, you know, and you, when you compare it to the United States again, we have states here as where different states can do different things. And we have a battle going on with that all the time about this between the states and the federal government. But Russia, if I'm not mistaken, is also the largest country in the world by, uh, in order in, in terms of landmass. Yeah. Um, is, is there a, are there states? Is it, or is one area different from the other, at least as far as how you're governed? Well, I have to say that when I brought Eurotrash, I was mostly talking about Western Europe because yeah, that's yeah. usually what people are talking about. Like, yeah. I've never heard anyone say, boy, I wish we were more like Russia. That's, yeah. that's a new one for me. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, uh, um, but yeah, I mean, Russia, Russia is, is a very diverse place. You know, there's a big Muslim population, for instance, and they, you know, I think they, I forget what they call them, but there are regions as well, but I wouldn't call it, it's not like a federalist state like the United States where, you know, uh, people can govern themselves. But I heard Tucker say also that, you know, Putin's very competent, and he is in, so, in a way, that he can have this country that's so diverse. Well, there's no country more diverse than the United States. And I mean that um, in the way people live, not just, uh, you know, how they look or whatever. Yeah, what I mean yeah. is, you know, if you're living in the West, your conception in, in, of the world is very different, and you want to do different things than someone living in New England or whatever. Um, so we do that without, uh, you know, authoritarian rule as they do in Russia. But Russia's always been authoritarian, you know. I mean, they were, you know, they've never been free, and uh, so I, I don't know if they ever will be. I don't, I don't know, but uh, no, it's not like a federalist state where people are off on their own, you know, doing innovative new, new kind of uh, governmental programs or anything. No, I don't think so. Well, I only have about a minute left. Um, I, I had a guy tell me a, a guy who's traveled the world. Um, he worked as a contractor for the uh, U.S. government in Afghanistan, training the non-Taliban good guys, uh, and how to work with explosives. And he's also a major, um, he's, he's very much involved in human trafficking, especially kids. And he told me that this was before, this was a year and a half, maybe two years before the war in Ukraine started. He said, Ukraine is the most corrupt country in Europe, and it's the nexus for human trafficking. In, in Europe. Now, this is what before the war started. 
So I guess my question for you, and not that it's a fair one, which country is more corrupt, and where would you rather live? Let's take the war out of it right now. Uh, Russia or Ukraine? Um, yeah, I mean, you, this. I don't think it's okay to invade Ukraine. I think Ukrainians want to fight for their country. That's great. Yeah. But I do not like when people try to tell me that that is the front line of the fight for democracy, because Ukraine is a corrupt country. It's been corrupt for a long time. Uh, I don't know where I'd rather live. I guess I'd be safer in Russia right now than Ukraine, but uh, I, would, I would prefer not to live in it, either <laughs> of those countries. I know it's, listen, I know it's old fashioned, but I like I like the USA and I like living here and I think it's a great place. I know that we're not supposed to talk like that anymore for some reason, but it's true. This is the best place. I'm happy I'm here. I've been well, blessed. I happen to agree with it. I guess that the main thing is just hoping that we I live long enough to see uh, it, uh, to to survive before it's ruined which is you know people are doing a good job of, t- of trying to do uh, the the democrats but uh, that's another issue i'm out of time uh, today but david always appreciate you coming on thank you yeah pleasure thanks for having me okay that's david harsani and you can find his book uh euro trash why america must reject the failed ideas of a dying continent i'll be right back Well, there's a story floating around out there. It started last night. Uh, Michael Schenenberger uh, and um, Matt Taibbi, um, they have a story at uh, public.substack.com. And uh, both of those guys are major, um, r- really good investigative reporters. Taibbi's the guy who he was mostly responsible for breaking the Twitter files and finding out how much they were being influenced or directed by the uh, Democrats to censor Republicans during the campaign. Um, and the story's been out there, and it's, it's kind of uh, – it's, it's a little bit complicated to figure out, but it, it to me, it, it, I, I break it down to something I've been thinking for from the beginning uh, when Trump took over in 2016, and and I, I'm just a – it's just kind of the way I am. I kind of simplify things, but um, I've – I've always believed that the the whole thing with Trump was, was two things. They hated him from the minute he said he was running, and they didn't take him seriously, and they ridiculed him, and they didn't worry about him because there was no way he was going to win the nomination. There was no way on earth he was ever going to beat Hillary in the in the election. But after he got the nomination, well, they obviously had to take him, start taking him seriously a little bit, but they still knew that there was absolutely no way that America was going to elect this guy, a TV, uh, a, a reality TV guy, and the Donald, and a millionaire, a billionaire playboy, and, and you know everybody, everything that Donald Trump was up to that point, uh, which was not a politician and not somebody who would even be considered a politician or someone who would be considered for president. Um, they all knew, and I, when I say they all, I mean Clintons. Um, the uh, the Obama people, the you know the leftovers for, who are now helping Joe Biden ruin the country, um, those people all knew that Hillary was going to win, and so that gave them the belief that they could do whatever they wanted to make sure that she won, even though they knew there was no way she could possibly lose. They still were dumb enough to think that they should go out and just you know make sure. So. They got together, and that's how the whole Russia collusion thing started and, and all that. But I, 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 as I said, I, I don't think it's any more complicated than these people who are 
still denying it and and still getting away with it, the stuff that they did to Trump before and after he became president, they only did it because they knew there was no way they were ever going to have to uh, admit doing it. They were never going to get caught because there was no way on this earth that Hillary Clinton was not going to be president of the United States. After all, that's the way it works. So the George H.W. Bush is president, and then what was it? Eight years later, his son was president. And then Bill Clinton was president. Um, and, well, no, it wasn't eight years later. I guess it was more like, uh, well, it was, yeah, ten, ten years after he left, uh, he became president, or eight years. But, but what I'm getting at is it went to the Bushes had it for a while, and then um, uh, Bill Clinton was in there, and from the minute that Hillary walked into the White House for the first time, she decided that she was going to be president someday. And so she, um, and then, of course, they did it the right way. They, they, she went and carpet-bagged in New York and became a senator, and then uh, became a secretary of state. But she was supposed to be president in 2008, which would have been eight years after her husband left. And so it would have been Bush, Clinton, Bush, Clinton, uh, and then that's the way it was supposed to work, and we'd still be, I can't even even imagine Hillary Clinton right now in her seventh year of being president. I, I just I can't even begin to believe, even contemplate having had to look at her for seven years. But that's what they thought was going to happen. So that's why they did what they did as far as the, the, uh, the CIA, the FBI, and everybody involved. They knew they were going to still be in power when the election was over, and whatever popped up, they just squash it because there would be nobody to protest. There would be no proof, and they, they'd be in charge. Well, obviously, it didn't work out that way for them. So then uh, uh, once um, Trump is president, they had to figure out another way to get rid of him, and now you're seeing all that happening now. I don't have to tell you about that. So um, the, the, uh, the story that these guys wrote, it's, a, it's at public.substack.com. It's a, diff- a totally a different story about the FBI investigating Trump. Now, they claimed it began with a Trump aide boasting, I think that was uh, Step, uh, uh, Papadocl- Papadopoulos, I think that's who that was, uh, who was boasting to an Australian diplomat, they claimed, that Russia had damning material about Hillary Clinton. So they decided that um, that they were going to, use that to come to the conclusion that Donald Trump was colluding with Russia and he was going to he was getting Russia's help to, uh, in in trying to beat Hillary Clinton. Well, as now as it turns out according to the story, the CIA and other countries uh, were were brought in to surveil Trump and they were asked by the Clintons, uh, the Clinton campaign. Listen, uh they're called the five eyes. And it's five five European countries and, and Australia, four four uh, European countries in Australia, that they they asked the CIA did they asked these other countries to surveil Trump and his associates, and they're called the Five Eyes. Well, Schellenberger was on uh, with Jesse Waters last night, and uh, I'm going to let you listen to him uh, try to explain what I'm trying to explain here, and. He said that he was going to have something big today. I haven't seen it yet, but listen to what he says and see where you think this is going. Well, obviously, this is an extremely serious story and serious allegation by multiple credible sources 
that Public and Racket, that's Matt Tybee's uh, publication, have spoken to. These are people that are close to the House intelligence investigation of how the Russia collusion hoax began. The story, as you mentioned, was that, oh, we were just informed by foreign intelligence about this. Our sources tell us a very different story, which is that this was initiated by the U.S. government. It came from within the U.S. government's intelligence community, including the CIA, that they asked the so-called Five Eyes Nations intelligence agencies, that's the other English-speaking nations, including Britain and Australia, to spy on 26 Trump associates, or at least they had a list of the 26 associates that were identified. This is new information. Some people have theorized about this and speculated about it. Uh, we feel very confident that our sources were in a position to know and are very credible in this report. And it's obviously a very serious allegation because this is illegal spying and it's illegal election interference. Okay, so you're reporting that the CIA got these allies to bump these 26 Trump associates, create interactions, and then call these interactions suspicious and let the FBI know they were suspicious. And that starts the whole thing. What about this binder that encapsulates this whole thing and no one knows where it is right now or Trump has it? What's that? Well, Jesse, we'll have a piece tomorrow that is specifically about the binder. But uh, as a friend of uh, of the show and of yours on this, I'll say that there has been widespread speculation that this binder was the was the reason or a reason for the FBI raid of Mar-a-Lago. And we'll be discussing that tomorrow. But obviously, if this binder contains what we have been told that it contains, which may include raw intelligence information showing that the U.S. government, the CIA and the intelligence community of the U.S. government, initiated the Russia collusion hoax, that it did not occur in the way that the official story, including the German investigation, had portrayed it, then that's extremely serious information. And it may be if the FBI then went to go get it in order to continue the cover-up of this information, that obviously adds an even more dramatic wrinkle to this. Again, we'll have more to say about it tomorrow, but this is a huge, huge story. I mean, I can't, I've been thinking about it in the history of the United States of America. Have we ever had something like this where the intelligence community was weaponized against a political candidate and weaponized and using our foreign allies to do it? I, I can't think of a more important or dramatic story. Yeah, well, um, so I haven't seen anything at this minute uh, on the, on the binder and uh, where it is, but we're going to hear more about that. Um, but the, I guess the, you know, so the big question here is, as he mentioned, Schellenberger mentioned, is this the reason that it was so important for the Biden administration to get that, to, to raid Mar-a-Lago and so that they, and the fact that they did it with a, basically a SWAT team because they were looking for that binder and they knew that, uh, uh, Donald Trump had it. The question, of course, is, if they thought that Donald Trump had it, and if they know what's in the binder, would they think that Donald Trump would leave it somewhere where they could get it? He'd have it in a safe somewhere in the basement of a of Trump Tower. It would be somewhere. It would be hidden somewhere. So we'll see what happens with that. But here, here's what you can also look for. I don't know. Maybe I'm crazy, but this seems like a pretty big story. It seems like it, it could change the entire narrative about what happened uh, with why 
going all the way back to the beginning about why Donald Trump was uh, spied upon by the, the Clinton uh, campaign. And it comes right up to today and the indictments and all the court cases and all the stuff that they're throwing at Trump trying to stop him. It's so obvious that they they cannot have this guy be president again. They can't do it. They, there's He knows too much. And it's... It, it goes so far beyond politics. They they didn't like George Bush either, and they they hated uh, they hated George H. W. Bush at one point. He became a fatherly grandfatherly figure, and everybody loved him after a while. But when when the when he was in office, the Democrats wanted him out of there, and they would not. They didn't stoop to this level or go to this level of um, desperation to get them out of there. And there's something about Trump that goes beyond politics. It, it, it just should be obvious to everybody. I can't believe that anybody would not acknowledge that, that what they're doing to keep him out is just solid proof that there's something other than politics that is driving them, and it has something to do with their their um, fear of what's going to happen to them if he gets in again, and not what's going to happen to them politically, but how much of what they did is going to be exposed, and maybe some of them will go to prison. So what I'm getting to here is that the, the, what, the thing to watch here is how much coverage this gets in the media, other than Fox or Newsmax or the usual places, talk radio. Uh, this is a gigantic story, and it's a, again, I talk about this all the time, uh, especially when Jeff McCall comes on, our media expert. This is a story that should have the people in newsrooms around the country, especially the, the national news organizations, their hair should be on fire right now, wanting to get more on this story. Get me Schellenberg. Get him in there. What, what's going on here? Find out about it. My guess is you see you would see nothing on it uh, on the evening news. The reason I say that is because uh, does the name Tony Bobolinsky mean anything to you? Now, he's the guy who showed up on Tucker Carlson's show a couple years ago and said that he had proof that Joe Biden knew everything about what Hunter Biden was doing and the money he was getting from other countries and blah, blah, blah. Well, Tony Bobolinsky finally was uh, brought in to, uh, con- to c- for congressional testimony, uh, closed door, and he said some really well, – he dropped some bombshells, okay? So what he said – well, I'll give you a little bit of an example here. Here's some of the stuff he said. This is from his opening statement. Joe Biden was aware of the CEFC transaction, enabled it, and had a cons- uh, cons- constitutional responsibility and obligation to the American people to shut it down before it began. This is because CEFC had been identified as a known surrogate of the Chinese Communist Party by the U.S. government and prosecutors in the Southern District of New York as far back as 2016. Joe Biden's this is this is what he's saying now. This is a this is not well. It's his opening statement. Yeah, uh, in front of Congress. Joe Biden's immediate family members were enriched to the tune of tens of millions of dollars from some of our most dangerous adversaries, including the Chinese Communist Party and players from Russia, Ukraine, Romania, Kazakhstan, and other foreign nations and entities. The Biden family, Joe's son Hunter and his brother Jim, knowingly and aggressively defrauded me as the CEO of uh, Sinohawk 
Holdings and as a member of Oneida Holdings, LLC, at the end of July 2017. They put Joe Biden and the rest of the Biden family smack in the middle of an $8 billion transaction between Russia and China involving Qatar, Qatar, um, uh, and uh, and they helped CEFC navigate through various issues before Patrick Ho, a CEFC executive, was arrested for corruption in New York in November 2017. Joe Biden's status as the head of the family served an enforcement role. For example, when Hunter stated deliberately that his father Joe was sitting right next to him while demanding immediate payment of the $10 million CEFC uh, $10 million that CEFC had committed to the Biden family, as well as when Hunter demanded CEFC circumvent Cinehawk Holdings. So um, he says, United States law enforcement appears to have been singularly unwilling to speak with me or to hear the facts that we will be discussing today. So he goes on and on. So that's a that's pretty good stuff, pretty big stuff. Now, Bobolinsky couldn't get anybody in, at any place outside of right-leaning uh, media, maybe outside of Fox. I don't know if he appeared on Cinemax. He couldn't get anybody outside of the conservative media to talk about this. So yesterday, he goes in front of Congress and testifies, and I just told you what he said. I don't know. That seems like pretty important stuff. Okay? Guess how much time, how many seconds that ABC... CBS and NBC devoted to that story last night on the evening news. Zero. Didn't mention it. Didn't happen. It didn't happen as far as they were concerned. And so that's what you can expect for this other story. But that that's with the Schellenberger. That's where you are. Something like this pops up. And not that they, they don't just come on and, and trash it and say this. Go on and say Bobulinski's, uh been proven to be uh, a radical and he's wrong and he's been all of his claims have been disproved say something they ignored it that should tell you everything you need to know i'll be right back well we started the show talking about valentine's day i guess i'll finish up with that uh this is from a piece at the free press for free people it's written by ricky schlott and the headline is when it comes to sex my generation is screwed and she's talking about the fact that um, men and women are going in the opposite direction politically. Women are veering to the left and men are veering to the right. And she says young singles today are facing a demographic disaster. While women have made a hard left turn in recent years, their male counterparts have taken a hard right one. A new report in the Financial Times shows that American women aged 18 to 30 are 30 percent more liberal than men their age. And according to another survey, a whopping 54% of women say they won't date a conservative. So you're finding out that men are more conservative than women, and women are deciding that they're not going to date uh, anyone unless they're a conservative. I think what that adds up to is a lot of women who aren't going to get married, okay? Maybe they don't care, uh, but that's, that's, you know, that's up to them, but... And it's also all over the world. It's the uh, it's the same thing. It's um, men are li- are conservative, women are liberal. She writes as a result, the statistical odds of finding a Gen Z partner with compatible views is no diving, nose diving. Daters are being forced to choose between feeling ideologically compromised or going without sex. And she says, as a 23 year old woman. With openly libertarian views, I've seen the problem firsthand on the New York City dating scene, but from the flip side. 
I've been told I'm a breath of fresh air by men who feel they can finally let their political hair down on a date. At last, a living, breathing woman who won't be offended. And here I am again. Words can't describe how glad I am to have grown up when I did. Good luck, guys. Talk to you tomorrow. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.